If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Just two verses as we finally conclude the second chapter of our study. Think about this, okay? Today's the first Sunday in March, and we're, we're doing pretty well. Two chapters in just over two months. I want to welcome every single one of you here this morning, especially if this is your first time. I hope it will not be your last time at Big Woods Bible Church. We've been focusing here, and we think even this morning's subject on marriage and family and children, and we'll kind of lean into a little bit. We'll get into chapter 3, the fall and the brokenness and sinfulness that comes as a result of the fall. I stumbled just this week upon some notes that children wrote, and I think it's very descriptive. Remember that um, uh, survey we took on the state of theology, and there was a question about, are children born completely innocent or not? Okay, I won't go on how people answer that, but listen to some notes, okay, that children read, actual in their own words, and I think it'll give you the answer to that question. Dear Brody, Mrs. P made me write this note. All I want to, all I want to say sorry for is not being sorry, because I tried to feel sorry, but I don't. Liam. Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter because there is nothing good in there now. Ginny. I kind of agree with Ginny to tell you the truth. Dear Ashley, would you please be my girlfriend? I like you a lot. Check yes, no, or maybe. Ashley's response. No. I'm sorry, I already have a boyfriend. It's Kyle. But when we break up, you're the next one on my list. P.S. That will probably be in a month or two. Actual notes, okay? Dear Tooth Fairy, Hi, it's been a while. I brushed this one for you, so if you want, you can smell it. It fell out while I was eating Laffy, Laffy Taffy at a volleyball game. It was a nice-looking tooth. Wink, wink. I have a field trip coming up. Money sign. LOL. I love you, Julie, with a heart. And the last one, Mom. I'm going to run away tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. when you and Dad are sleeping. Be sure to say goodbye forever. Emily, P.S. I will be packed tonight. <clears throat> you know that question that you had to check, are children born innocent or not? I think you know the answer on that one. We're looking this morning at the subject of marriage and family and God's beautiful, perfect design that he has for us. And not only do I hope it will be encouraging to you, but challenging to you as well. We, we, are, we will pause on a subject that there is, there is great confusion about in our world. Tremendous confusion. And, and I trust, my prayer is that there will be a sense of clarity to the truth of the Word of God, 
a sense of comfort that he has a plan for us, and it's a good plan for us. But also that the Holy Spirit, what? And we know that his word never returns void. That if there is a need of conviction in our own heart, that we would hear and respond to that. But please understand, I have one goal ultimately, that, that God will be glorified in our time together. And, and my prayer is that the truth is spoken in love. That's my goal. I think God is glorified most when we, we speak the truth and it is done in a sense of love. I need help in order to do that. And so we need to pray and I need to ask for help. And I would ask that you bow your heads with me as we pray to that end. <clears throat> Father, we <clears throat> thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word that is before us and your spirit that is present within. Thank you, Lord, already today for the blessing. It has been a true blessing to my heart to see new member come alongside and the renewal of covenant reminder for all of us. I thank you for our voices that have been lifted up in song, the scriptures that have been read, the, the little ones that have been taught. We thank you, Lord, that you're a perfect and a sovereign God, that you have, you, have, you have seen these few moments for us to be together with your word opened up before us since the very foundations of the earth were set. And I would pray, Lord, that we would steward this, these, this time and these few moments well, that your perfect will would be accomplished. Please, Lord, would you be glorified. May the truth of the word of God be spoken with sincere and gentle and humble love for all. Please be with me. Guard my mind, my mouth. May everything that is said and done be for your glory. May we exalt the name of Jesus. And may we celebrate his work this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It's a short text. Genesis chapter 2 verses 24 and 25. Um, I will be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. The words will be in front of you on the screen. Here it is, the word of the Lord. <clears throat> therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed the word of the lord <clears throat> in the in the closing words here of the second chapter of genesis what we have here are adam's voice begins to quiet okay remember last week we saw what this had last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh adam's voice quiets and actually the author god is what speaking through moses it's moses voice that is heard which as he speaks, it speaks intentionally of the joy, the intimacy, the blessing, and the beauty of marriage. Three points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this, that we are to leave and cleave. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. To his wife. Whenever you hear this word, therefore, you've heard of this oftentimes in preaching, it is a connector. It points us back to the previous. So that now, 
all of this as a result of the fact that God, if you recall, created man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life. And then we saw, it, it seems like almost immediately, we're not told how long, that he announces it's not good for the man to be alone. So God created the woman, forming her from the rib of the man, and brought her to him to be his helper. And both of them are created equally in the image of God. Equal in value, but there's distinct roles that are given. So that now we will see as a husband and wife, this is the first bit of explicitly clear instruction on what God has ordained marriage to look like. Moses' words are so important that you will notice what Jesus quotes them. In Matthew chapter 19, he, Jesus, says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh jesus says so they are no longer two but one flesh what god has joined together let no man separate moses words are so important jesus quotes them and the apostle paul quotes them as well Ephesians chapter 5 and 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I love how Paul adds this, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Think about this, the element of the gospel, the picture of the gospel, the, the example of explaining the gospel is marriage. I love the Apostle Paul's words here regarding the profound depth of marriage. So deep is this relationship, he actually and appropriately uses this word mystery to describe marriage. It's a mystery. The word mystery is defined as something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain. Ask anyone here that's been married for more than a week. Okay? Ask your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, like, how does, this, how does this marriage thing work? And if they're totally honest, selfish man, selfish woman living together for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, how does this work? If they're honest, they will say this, I don't know. Other than God is real, and God is real powerful. Now what I find fascinating here with this particular instruction is the fact that they're told to leave and cleave. If you know anything, even anything, a little bit about ancient Jewish kind of Hebrew culture, neither before Moses' day that he's saying this, he's writing this, nor after Moses' time was the custom ever for a man to leave, actually to move away from his parents when he took a wife and got married. It didn't happen in Jewish culture. It was never done. In fact, the exact opposite actually occurred. A man would oftentimes remain with his family. Think of Jacob and his 12 sons. They're all, in a sense, living together as they formed their own families and fortunes. It was actually kind of odd. 
to be called away from family. Think of Abraham, who what, stepped out in faith to, to, to move away from. It was uncommon. Instead, if you think of it, it was actually the wife who oftentimes left her family to come to live with their husband's family. So, so what, what exactly is happening here? Like, what is Moses talking about? Rather, we need to see th- this is a prescription that is, that is given to describe the, the degree of loyalty and, and the degree of intimacy that a man must show, that a man must give his wife. This union is so profound that he leaves his family even when physically remaining close to them. So what is happening? This is the teaching of what the first obligations, the first loyalties in his entire life are to be towards his wife. His first loyalties, his first obligations are always to be to his wife. Now think about this, right out of the gate, this is where many marriages fail and fall apart today. Husbands and wives fail to leave their parents. That's what happens. Some of their first and primary loyalties are not established. The creation norm that is given to us is actually ignored. And there's an unstable foundation that is in place, that is built. And thus what happens is that after year one or two or three, the foundation, what is not solid, the marriage is corrupted. And oftentimes, sadly, as we know in our society today, it collapses If any husband, if any wife thinks for a moment that their first loyalties are to your parents, daddy and mommy, over your spouse, let me tell you this, as much love as I can get, you are dead wrong on that. You are totally wrong on that. Now, that does not give you an excuse to say, we don't have to go to grandma's for Thanksgiving. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. I'm not saying that you don't spend time... We are to, what, what does it say? It says that we are to honor, and we work hard at this, honor our father and our mother. That does not mean that what? We will always agree with their father and our mother. Marriage is not built upon what? What do you think mom would do in this situation? What do you think dad would do? Let's ask them. Marriages are not to be what entirely supported by, controlled by, or directed by daddy and mommy, father and mother. It does not happen. Which means also what daddy and mommy have to remember when you walk little one down the aisle and you place what? Her hand in his? Guess what? You will be honored. It's not about you any longer. Wendy and I, Wendy and I may have been married Maybe a month, if I remember. We were down in D.C. I was still a student. And we got into an argument. I know it sounds really weird, but honeymoon's over. And we actually got into an argument on our honeymoon, too, if I recall. But it's not in my notes. We were married about a a month, and we got into a disagreement. I mean, it was, like, serious. It was, like, probably, like, about the soap dish or something like that. It's big stuff. 
And I remember that she called her, her mom, in a sense, what, in tears to describe what? I've, I've, I've married this monster. Like, I can't believe you let me do that. And as she was in tears talking to her mom, all of a sudden she hears click, and like the phone was dead. And she's like, well, she got cut off somehow. There was a, so she, she, she go, I think we did it like that back then. She called mama again, and she's like, you wouldn't believe the monster in tears. Click again. The third time. Wendy's a pretty strong, capable woman. She calls three times to her mom, and she goes, mom, what's happening to the phone? She goes, no, no, I'm hanging up on you. You married him. You two are going to have to figure out how this moves. Now think about that. As mama, her dear little one is in tears. You don't think that she's going to jump on board and say, that's right, he is a monster. No, no, she was wise enough. She was godly enough to click and say, no, it's, it's the two of you that have got to learn how to figure it out. Number one, when it comes to this foundational principle of what God has joined together, here it is, we are to leave and cleave. We are in many, many ways to, as the word literally means, um, to stick to. That word in Hebrew means to stick to. There's an autonomy here. There's an independence that is referred to. Number two, what we also are to be and commit towards this. They shall become one flesh. Number two. Number one, we leave and cleave. Number two, we have to understand what happens here. To actually become one. One flesh. What is, what is being spoken of here? What do you think this subject is about? Oh, the depth the mystery, the beauty, the intimacy of marriage that as these few words here, no doubt, are including the gift of what? Of a sexual relationship that is to exist exclusively between a husband and a wife. This, this in a few words here, speaks of what? The the privacy, about the purity of God's perfect design for marriage. What we refer to and teach here at Big Woods as the sacredness of marriage. And I remind young couples all the time, it is what? The most significant and it is the most binding covenant that is known in all human relationships. Two principles I always refer to when I, when I teach young couples. This is what it's going to be like. This is going to be hard. This is something that is to be mutually enjoyed, not, not by one or the other, but mutually enjoyed. And this is something that is to be expected. It's normal in a marriage. It's not dangled as a reward for good behavior. Matthew Henry says what? Marriages, they say, are made in heaven. We are sure this was. For the man, the woman, the match were all God's own work. He, by his power, made them both. And now by his ordinance, I love this, made them one. End quote. I think it was well over 500 years ago. Thomas Cramner, then Archbishop of Canterbury, editor of the Book of Common Prayer, 
wrote these words that I think many of you are familiar with. Matter of fact, you've probably heard these words at some point or another. In that moment when she is arrayed in all of her beauty. And I, and I love when, when the, the bride, the doors open and the music begins. And, and all, of, all of the beauty and everything is perfect. And I always look at the eyes of the groom. Mind people, that's the, that's the look that, that Christ wants to see on our face. We want to see on his as our eyes meet. Cramner wrote, Dearly beloved, we are gathered together in the sight of God in the face of this congregation to join together this man, this woman in holy matrimony. Here's the description, which is an honorable estate instituted by God in the time of man's innocence. Right here. Signifying unto us the mystical union that is betwixt Christ and his church, which holy estate Christ adorned and beautified with his presence, the first miracle that he wrought in Cana of Galilee. And is commended by Paul to be an honorable among all men, and therefore it is not to be by any to be enterprised or taken in hand unadvisedly, lightly or wantonly, but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, soberly, and in the fear of God. We must return what? A high view of marriage. It is so needed. It is so important today. Why? Because as James Montgomery Boyce, one of the heroes of the faith, describes that there is a four-pronged attack against marriage today. And I want to pause here for a moment because this is, this is where we need to learn together as a body. This is what we need to model for the next generation. A, the first attack that, that is clearly being forced upon what, what many would say this outdated, unnecessary institution of marriage is number, number one, a rampant, there is rampant hedonism that exists in our world today. What, 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 is, what is that? If you know anything about hedonism is when what? The chief goal in life is pleasure. The playboy philosophy says what? If it feels good, then do it. Hedonism is when pleasure must be pursued regardless of whatever long-term detrimental effects there may be. Therefore, what happens in our society, what has happened is that sex has been reduced to a mere urge. It is, it is what? Sadly, a, a bodily function where people, what? Boast of the more the conquests, the better. How many hookups? The greater number... Sure, sure, sex sells, and it may be fun for a season, but I want, to, I want you to understand this morning, because we don't always examine this subject this closely. I want you to understand there can be devastating and lasting consequences whenever you move outside of God's perfect design, which is one man, one woman, one lifetime. Penn State University, Graduate School, College of Health and Human Development, except 
accepted a dissertation by Clinton Colaco, PhD student. Colaco wrote, entitled, An Examination of the Experience of and the Reasons for Regretted Sex Among Undergraduate College Students. Okay, think about it. Now, this is, this is the secular worldview here, and yet there's amazing observation of truth that has to be acknowledged. Kolecka refers to multiple studies that have been conducted, but one of them, in a sense, kind of summarized generally kind of a middle ground of where things were found. As he referenced A.L. Thomas's study called Hooking Up on Campus from Cal State University. Where he finds what? The relationship between sexual regret and cognitive dissonance. Dissonance. Where 134 male, 158 female college students between 18 to 24 attending a mid-sized university in the western United States reported engaging in sex. 68% indicated experiencing some level of regret after at least one sexual encounter some level of regret that's almost seven out of ten the negative consequences of hookups can include emotional psychological injury sexual violence sexually transmitted infections and unintended pregnancy in addition to sexual risk taking another issue of concern involving hookups is the high comorbidity with substance abuse Although alcohol and drugs are likely a strong factor, college students can experience a variety of negative emotions due to regretted sex. These include psychological distress, guilt, shame, poor self-esteem, anxiety, and depression. You, 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 could, you could look at that last line there, and that's descriptive of what people in our entire society are facing. And the world is even observing this. Why? Because people have moved outside of God's design. So there is a sense that there's an attack against what God has given to us as a beautiful gift. It's just rampant. Sense of pleasure, sense of hedonism. Number two, another attack is the acceptance of adultery. There's a, there's a reason that God set such necessary restrictions when he stated clearly in the seventh commandment. This is like one of the big ones. Thou shall not commit adultery. Now, now remember, this includes any and all sin, including fornication. The word is pornea, sex before marriage. It's sex outside of the marriage covenant. It's homosexuality. It's pornography. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sadly, what has happened, unfortunately, particularly in the case of the local church of Jesus Christ, so many are quick to condemn and attack the actions of others without first examining what? Your own heart, your own life, your own habits and personal disciplines. 
Therefore, we must understand something that is of utmost importance. Don't ever point what? At the abomination of homosexuality, which it is an abomination according to the word of God. And it is a sin, regardless of what the world tells you. Don't ever point your fingers at that person while you silently and secretly indulge in pornography at home in front of your computer on your phone. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't gossip and condemn the man or the woman who's been unfaithful to their spouse. Don't gossip or condemn the teenage girl who had an abortion while you're messing around with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You, you don't do that. What we have to understand here is that all sin, all sin is a reproach before a holy and perfect God who calls us, what we've been created in his image, to reflect his holiness in every way. 1 Peter chapter 1, be holy as I am holy. Repeat it twice, the word hagios. It means to be set apart from. It means to be pure. It literally means unmixed. That, That we have got to, as a church, we're called to live different than the rest in this world. We have to understand the severity of sexual sin. 1 Corinthians in chapter 6 says what? In verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee, just run. Young men, when you're tempted, what? Just, just turn, get out of there. Flee, run. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do, do you not know? Do, do you not know? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. There's something uniquely devastating and dangerous about sexual sin that is different than every other sin. It says it's against your own body. And you're like, wait a minute, what exactly does that mean? Drug abuse would be against my body. Suicide is a sin that is against my body. Now, what the author here, what Paul is saying here, what? Because this was a rampant problem in that particular church that he was writing a letter to. Against your own body, it's, it's, it's more than just the physical stuff. It's more than just what? A sin against bone and muscle and flesh. By body, he's referring to what? The whole self, the whole person, our, to- our total selves, who we are. He's speaking about our very identity. This is a sin that involves what? Not just physical body, but our emotional well-being, our psychological connection between husband and wife. One pastor I I read says this, if if sex is just like eating a piece of cake, then why is adultery so painful? There's a good point there. Something is unique here. This is a gift that God has given to us to understand. Third prong of attack against what God's perfect design here. And this is why we need to be aware of these things. And I know it's difficult. But we have to look, number three, is the ease 
of divorce. Recently, um, if you know, if you've been at any wedding recently, actually the vows themselves have been rewritten recently. I don't know if you picked up on that because it's subtle. And do you take this person, better for worse, rich or poor, sickness and health? And at the end, they've changed a line, very subtle. It, 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 it used to read, and it still reads in the weddings that, that I conduct and that are conducted here in this church. Are you committing as long as you both shall live until you die? Yes, I do. And, and they've changed that one little what's letter to as long as you both shall love. It says if I just fall out of love, then I'm released from this. No, no, that's not God's design here. It's not God's design. It's not God's plan here. You realize that there are a few things that God expressly states that he expressly hates. And divorce is one of them. Malachi chapter 2 in verse 16. God hates this. Now understand as well, understand what is being spoken. God does not hate people who have suffered divorce. He loves all. He loves unconditionally. He's referring to something here. God hates it because he knew of the fact that the pain of divorce, which is estimated in our society today to be about 50%, one out of two. God hates it because he knew the fact that the pain of divorce is arguably one of the greatest pains that people in a fallen world will ever face. And I have been told that time and time again from people that are close to me and people that I dearly love. Why, why, why is that so? Why? Because marriage is a, is, a, is a covenant. It's been designed by God. And sex is designed by God to be a covenant relationship. Therefore, as we consider Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce, Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 19, what God has joined together, let no man pull asunder. Let no one separate. Thus the high calling to fidelity, to faithfulness, and the intense sorrow True sorrow, the intense suffering that surrounds infidelity. It's if you recall when they were trying to, to trick Jesus or to tempt Jesus in a way. According to Matthew chapter 5, is the only, only, only reason for divorce. And what does it say? Because of the hardness of one's heart. Fourth pronged attack against what God has given to us is the gift is the accessibility of abortion today and he's like, like why like how what's the connection here how, how is this a danger detriment to marriage because it, it very quickly and actually quite easily excludes the fact that there's two people involved in this little one's life here it excludes the father who what? 
excludes him from a, a time-honored obligation. He's been instructed to defend the life of that little one. And we know today, and, 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 and we ache at the fact that although there have been some changes and we rejoice in that, abortion is still readily available in some states, even at the point that a minor, even without parental consent, a minor can make a life-altering decision. Thus, not only do we hold and do we celebrate what the sacredness of marriage here at Big Woods, but the sanctity of all human life. Quote, I had an abortion at 17, and it was the wrong thing, I, the, the worst thing I ever did. End quote. Sharon Osborne, wife to Ozzy Osborne, outspokenly anti-conservative television personality, explains on the television show The Rock of the Osbournes. She goes on, quote, I was terrified. The abortion clinic was full of other young girls, and we were all terrified looking at each other. And nobody was saying a bloody word. I howled my way through it, and it was horrible. She continues to detail the post-abortion complications by saying, I would never recommend abortion to anyone because it comes back to haunt you. I tried to have children. I lost three of them. I think it was because something had happened to my cervix during the abortion. Osborne isn't alone. Focus on the family rights. Studies show that what? Direct increased risk of miscarriage for post-abortive women. Only scratching possible complications. Despite the number of women undergoing abortions, there are many negative effects that, that personal and political discussions don't commonly visit. So many women are suffering physically and psychologically, yet their voices continue to be silenced. End quote. Now let, me, let me tell you, that just as we've already described, God loves all. And I'm thankful that even here for, for women and young girls that have suffered, thankfully right here, we want to offer abortion recovery for anyone that has ever had to suffer through that. That God still loves, God extends grace, that there's healing and restoration. Please, please make sure that you don't suffer alone. Pull another woman alongside of you. Make sure you ask for the help that we so, so desire as a local church to offer. Third and finally, and I love this phrase, and at some level you're kind of like, why? It says, and the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Two words, not ashamed. At some level, we can very quickly and easily ask, like, why, why exactly is this detail given? Why is it here? Is it, is, it, is it necessary? And to be clear, we've talked about literal interpretation. This is literal, okay? We talk about things like that a lot, but it's literal. Like, they really didn't have anything 
on. But yet it's, it's more than just, intentionally, it's more than just a physical description here. It, it's pointing to something and it speaks of their unashamed innocence. There's this brief period of time before Genesis chapter 3 that we will dive into and the fall of man. There's this, there's this design that God has. Perfect and beautiful. Matthew Henry says what? Those that had no sin in their conscience might well have no shame on their faces though they had no clothes for their backs. Now what, what is the significance here in closing? We will see pretty quickly the answer is directly connected to what we'll discuss throughout Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of mankind where their shame emerges as a direct result of their sin. And, and I'll kind of give you a little preview as far as what we're going to be looking at. After they were tempted, we know that after they were, um, what, convinced by the serpent, by Satan. It says that their eyes of both of them were open in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, and they realized they were naked. Up to this point, they didn't know. They didn't realize that. Unashamed innocence. Now, now their eyes were open, and they realized, does it mean like they couldn't see before? That's why they didn't know. No, absolutely not. It, it's a nakedness before the eyes of a holy God whom they had just then realized what they had sinned against. In that moment, they realized it. Now think today of all the subjects that we've kind of covered today as a result of broken marriages, marital conflict, selfishness that exists in people's lives and hearts and homes and families, sexual sins, because of those things. There are real things that exist that what? That some of you even right now are battling. And it is a sense of shame. And regret. And guilt. And, and, and disappointment. And, and hurt. And embarrassment. All of those things exist. And guess what happens? People are legitimately suffering and this this is this is why I do what I do because even in the midst of all of that all of that heartache and brokenness and tears and people that say I've just I've just gone too far and I've done too much this is why I get up in the morning this is what we as elders gather and pray for the word of the of the gospel, that good news would penetrate the darkness and the blackness and the bleakness. In Romans chapter 8, it says, What there is therefore now, right now, I don't care what you've done in the past, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How, how much greater news? Could there be than that? That's, that's where we have to hold on to. 
that although we just what, are feeling crushed under the weight and that there's flood, the tidal wave of temptation and people succumbing to that and there's broken destruction all around, there is therefore now when we know that we are in Christ Jesus, we recognize the fact, yes, our little ones can admit the fact that they're sinners. That the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. And yet when we put our faith simply admitting the fact that yes, I am a sinner and I know what I deserve, but I trust the fact that God has offered his own son to take the pain and the suffering to pay the price for my sins and your sins. And through his death, his burial, and his resurrection and a desire to live with him, Lord of my life, that Lord, whatever it is, I'm going to trust you. That there is, no, there is no need, there is no reason to feel for a moment condemned. Yes, this side of glory, many will suffer the consequences. But praise God, this, what, this life is but a mist. It's here just for a moment. and go on to the next. You realize, just as God in the Garden of Eden provided a means to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. What, what, what happened? It says this in verse 21 of chapter 3. The, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God is doing this. It says what? An animal was sacrificed. Something had to die. And blood was shed. To cover up their sinfulness, their nakedness. He did not sew fig leaves together, okay? But, but now today, even in the midst of a world that is filled with a broken and distorted view of marriage and of sex and of family, we can be most thankful. We can sing loud and we can celebrate. Why? Because of the grace of God. We can move forward knowing that there was another sacrifice. There was a greater sacrifice that was made to cover our sin and our shame once and for all. And that sacrifice was Jesus on the cross. 1 Peter 3 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, that we might be made alive in the spirit. Hebrews chapter 10, but when Christ had offered for all time, listen to this, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time, all time, those who are being sanctified, those who are being set apart, once again, that word, towards holiness. What, what do we do with this? If you are not married here today, and Lord willing, you, you look forward, then I want you to plan toward this, okay? I want you to pray towards this end. That's what God's design is. If you're a young one here today and you hear like, why do I have to bother to do that? Let's just live together and try things out for a while. No, no, that's not God's design. We plan and we pray towards God's plan, not your own. And if you were married here this morning, let me, let me tell you, as hard, as difficult as it is, I want you to be encouraged 
God knew exactly what he was doing when he says what? It's not good for the man to be alone. That there's one and there's only one. There's no one else out there. Don't believe that lie. Be encouraged with God's plan. Don't give up. Don't give up. And be examples. Be examples of God's unconditional love. Why? Because there's little ones that are watching you. And little ones that will follow in your footsteps. Thus the importance of being obedient. Fully. Fully obedient. To live in light of the word of God. How, how we need that and how we need to be a church that speaks of this truth. Even in the midst of the brokenness and the destruction around us. There is good news. There is good news in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you for this reminder that I know there's a lot there. I know it's heavy. I know it's hard. But Father, I would pray that, that the words that were heard this morning, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would accompany those words, minister to hearts and souls. Forgive us, Lord, where we, where we need to ask for forgiveness. And we rejoice in the fact that there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Give us the boldness, give us the bravery to speak the truth in love for the glory of God. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.